we're in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 13. Billy's been doing a great job. appreciate him uh, teaching for me for a couple of weeks and have enjoyed uh, receiving the word uh, from him. So, You guys need some burpees or push-ups to, to wake you up? Is it just me or is it really dim out there? Can we get a little more light in the, in the house? So I want to catch you guys if you're sleeping. So if we can, we'll get a little bit more. Let's go ahead and stand together. We'll just energize a little bit and try to shake off the, the evening slumber from dinner time. And we'll, we'll pray together. There we go. So, all right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that we get to be together in the sanctuary. And we just ask that your Holy Spirit would minister to us during this time, to those that are worshiping with us online on the live stream. And as we wrestle through some issues in your word this evening, that we would have ears to hear and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Oftentimes we wrestle with authority. There is a part of our sinful nature that as soon as someone draws the line, we want to step over it in disobedience. In high school, I had a teacher, his name was Mr. Long, and he was the English and grammar teacher. He loved rules. He could have been named Mr. Law instead of Mr. Long. He would give you a detention for putting your feet on the basket in front of you. There was desks where a basket to have your books underneath your desk. And I don't know what it was, but just because he had that rule, all I could think about all class was, I'm going to just put my feet on this basket, right? I'm just going to see if I can get away with it. He never allowed chewing gum in his class, so it was infamous that students would chew gum, chew gum, chew gum, and then stick a big ball of gum right on his door, right? He was a nice guy. You know, he Christian man, loved the Lord. He wasn't necessarily doing anything wrong, but he just had so many rules that it just spurred you on to, to want to rebel and to, to disobey. And I think all of us, we, we wrestle with authority. And what we're going to see tonight in the scripture is that submission is beautiful. Submission is beautiful. And God is a God of order, and, and he has put authority and order in our lives And ultimately, when we are submitting to the authority that he's placed in our lives, we're coming underneath God's authority. And each of us need to be living under authority, need to be living under the coverings that God has provided. Think of it like an umbrella. An umbrella keeps you dry, protects you from the storm. And when we come underneath the God-given, God-ordained authority, there is a protection there that the Lord has put in place. The motivation for this submission is the gospel. It's that Jesus submitted to the Father, that Jesus suffered. And by us coming underneath the authority that God has placed in our lives, we have opportunity to declare the gospel. We have the opportunity to get Christ's message out. Look with me at verse 12 because it sets the stage for this call for submission. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So hopefully, unbelievers, Gentiles, those that don't know the Lord, can look at our attitudes towards the government, our attitudes towards our boss, our attitude towards our spouses, and see something different. See the gospel. And through our good works, 
the love of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ gets proclaimed. So there's four ways that we're going to look at submission. And the first is to government, and then it's going to be to masters, to employers. Then it's looking at Christ's submission, and then finally submission inside of of marriage. Verse 13, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who were sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. In the Greek, the last phrase, the ignorance of foolish men, all begins with the letter alpha, the first letter in the Greek alphabet. So Peter uses some articulation there to emphasize, to silence the ignorance of foolish men. We're to submit unto the government because we're coming under God's authority. In verse 13, it says, Therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for whose sake? For the Lord's sake. So the reason that we honor the president, the reason that we honor the governor, the the reason that we honor the police officer is because it's God-ordained authority. And when we're uh, honoring that authority, we're honoring God. In Romans 13, 1, it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So wrestle with that for a moment. The authorities that exist are appointed by God. He has raised up those, those authorities. So because Jesus is my Lord, because Jesus is my master, then that should affect my attitude and my action towards the authorities that God has placed in my life. Now, is there a point as God's people where there is a decision that we have to make to disobey the authorities because we have to honor God? Yes. We see that in Acts chapter 5. The apostles are thrown into prison, they're beaten, and they're told that they can't speak the name of Jesus. They can't proclaim the good news. They're busted out of jail, and an angel delivers them and says, go back out and share the good news. And that's exactly what they do. They get in trouble again, and their response is, we have to obey God rather than man. This is an interesting time for us to be in this section of Scripture, isn't this? If we taught this section of scripture nine months ago, we'd go, hey, there's not a lot of application for this in our lives. But here we sit with a lot of government-imposed restrictions, don't we? And the governments had to make difficult decisions in the midst of this health crisis to try to keep us, keep us safe. And is there a line where you say, okay, I've got to honor God and go ahead and disobey the government? And that's something that each believer has to pray through. And each believer has to be able to decide. You should have chapter and verse for that. You should be able to point to a place in Scripture and say, God has commanded me to do this. The government is commanding me not to do this so that I have to honor God. It's not okay to disobey the government because of an opinion. It's not okay to disobey the government because I don't like this or or I wouldn't do it this way. But 
Let's say the government comes in and says, all right, pastors at RMC, you can not teach what the Bible says about sexuality. And you can no longer decide who you're going to marry and who you're not going to marry. We're getting to impose on you the, the, the definition of marriage. Then we as pastors would have to say, no, we have to honor God because God is the one who has defined marriage between a man and a woman. So this does provide the fuel for us to have to pray through those decisions. Even when there is disobedience to the government in honoring God's word, it should be done with the most humility and love that points people to Jesus Christ. If there's this kind of disobedience and it's done in pride and it's done in arrogance and it's done in stick it to the man— that doesn't honor the Lord and it doesn't further the, the cause uh, of Christ. So we do have to wrestle through those things. We've got to pray through those things and see what the Lord would have us for each individual. But be clear, be clear. You better have chapter and verse to say, yes, the government's asking me to step against the, the word of God. The purpose of government, which is interesting, is found in verse 14, according from God's perspective, has been sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. To those that serve in government positions, they should understand that they've been appointed by God to bring justice upon evildoers. This is important for us to know as a church as well because it has been contested whether there should be a police force or not. Now, there should not be bully cops, and there should not be unjust cops. And if there are cops that are unjust, they should be held accountable. But there are cops who do their job with integrity. And the idea of, well, there should be no police officers, and there should be no judges that hold evil accountable, does go against God's word. There is something called evil in our world. And if you don't have a system in place of justice to hold evil accountable, it's not a place that any of us would want to live, right? Maybe you've visited some countries like that, where there is no system in place to hold those that are doing evil accountable, and it is scary, right? And so it is God-ordained that there are systems of justice, police officers, judges, that are going to hold those accountable who do evil, but also should be affirming those that do good. This is the will of God, is declared, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Does our attitude and our actions towards the government communicate the gospel? Does it silence the ignorance of foolish men? Can, can the world look on to the church and see a different perspective because we know Christ? Can they see a, a heart towards Governor Polis that says, I'm going to honor the position that God has given him, even if I may not agree with all of his, his decisions? In churches, maybe, that have decided to say, here's the restrictions that have been placed upon us, but we're not going to follow those. Do they do that in a way that still communicates the love of Jesus Christ to those who are in authority? Because we want all of those that are in authority to come to know Christ as, as their Savior. So there's a lot to pray through here. There's a lot to wrestle through here. When it comes to the issues of paying your taxes, 
You gotta pay your taxes because you're coming underneath that authority in which God has, has put, put in place. And this is an important understanding for us. It's not just about the government, but it's about my submission to God. Now, having said that, if there does come a day or time in the United States of America where it's not too hard to imagine this, if the government's asking you to disobey God, you, you better be prepared to obey God, amen? You better be prepared to say, yeah, it may cost me something, but I'm gonna honor God. I'm gonna be faithful to, to the word of God. And that may be a bridge that we have to walk across in our time, in our, in our generation. In verse 16, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for a vice, but as bondservants of God. How do we use the freedom that Christ has entrusted to us? Do we use it as an excuse for sin, as a cloak for a vice? Or do we use it as an excuse for, for rebellion? Well, I'm free in Christ and I'm a citizen of heaven, so why do I have to listen to a president? Or why do I have to listen to, to a governor? Or do we use our liberty for service? To be a slave by choice, a bondservant. That's what bondservant means. I'm going to be a bondservant of God, and that's manifested in how I serve and treat people. This section is summarized by verse 17. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. God wants us to honor all people. You say, well, some people aren't honorable. How do we honor all people? Because Every person is made in God's image, and every person is a soul from whom Christ died. So we can honor them. We can say, you are created in God's image. Jesus died for you, so I'm going to treat you with honor. I'm going to treat you with, with respect. And remember, this is tied into verse 12, that the world would see our conduct and desire Christ. I believe that when we live our lives with treating others with honor, it's a great testimony to Jesus Christ. Because it just doesn't happen a lot apart from Christ. Do we treat our neighbors honorably? Do we treat those around us in the grocery store honorably, right? Do we treat our co-workers honorably? And then love the brotherhood, which is our brothers and sisters in Christ. Love the body of Christ. May the world see the love that we have for each other and be, be drawn to Jesus. Fear God. This is central to this issue of submission is to fear God. I enjoy doing some exercise over here at Trinity Fitness. It's just right behind the church property and it's a ministry gym. And I was over there last night with Amber and one of our daughters and we're getting ready to work out. Announcements were being made. The devotional was being given. There's this flash of light and then this huge boom and it was lightning and thunder. It was so close. It was like right over top of us. And I was thankful we weren't running outside in, the, in the, the parking lot. But there was a sense of awe in that moment, right? And that's the idea of fearing God. Because there should be an element of wonder and awe and respect for who he is, his power, his love, his grace, everything about God to where we step back and we say, God, I fear you. God, I, I honor you. Him being in that proper place of worship. And as we fear God, then that translates into relationships. Then we honor the king. Who's writing this epistle? Peter. In which context is he living? The Roman Empire. 
corrupt, corrupt, corrupt. The Roman Empire, Nero, persecuted the church. Many of the apostles were thrown into prison. Peter ultimately lost his life for the cause of Christ. Do you think it was easy to honor some of the government officials in the Roman Empire? Absolutely not. So Peter had to live out this tension of when is it time to honor God and disobey men, and when is it time to obey the government and come underneath that God-given authority? But allow me to go a little bit deeper. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. What is it about this section of scripture that makes you uncomfortable? What is it about this that makes this hard to hear, right? Is there something in our hearts where we resist the authority that God has placed on a governmental level? Let's take COVID off the table for for just a moment and all the issues that come with it. Do we have an improper attitude towards government even prior to all this, right? That we're just, we're just looking for an excuse to stick it to the man, right? Could there be something dif- deeper inside of, of our hearts? You know, does it reveal something in our hearts when we pay our taxes and that, that's the worst money that we spend all year long, right? Just so upset about it. Oh, I can't stand having to, having to pay those, those taxes. There, there could be a deeper issue there. We haven't accepted that God has put this authority in our lives. Verse 19, for this is commendable if, if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit, let me back up to verse 18, it'll make a lot more sense. It tends to go that way if you read 18 before 19. 18, servants be submissive to your own masters with all fear not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. So this is submission to masters, submission to government, number one, and submission to masters. What is radical and difficult about what Peter is writing here is he's writing to slaves, literally slaves. It's translated servants. Be submissive to your masters. Now, please understand, in context of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, God is not for slavery. You know, I don't think you can read the scriptures and make a position for, for, for slavery by, by any means. It breaks the, the heart of God completely. Paul is writing this, not condoning slavery, but writing this to slaves and inspiring them that even in the midst of slavery, there is a greater mission, and that's the cause of Christ. Now, that's difficult for us to swallow. God is not condoning slavery, but God is showing us what is the most important to his priorities is that the gospel would go forth. So God calls servants here to go ahead and be submissive to their masters with all fear, not fear of their masters, but fear of God. To be good and, and gentle to, to those that are good and gentle, but also to those that are harsh, to a master that treats them unfairly. Then expresses in verse 19 and 20 that 
if we do wrong and we experience punishment, there's nothing commendable about that. But if we do good and we suffer wrong, that that points to the cause of Christ. Now that is tough, isn't it? To actually do good and be punished for it. And to be able to do that for the sake, being willing to accept suffering for the sake of the cause of Christ. Now thankfully, we're not slaves. So how does this apply to our lives? Is it submission to employers? God has placed a a boss in your life. And is it difficult to come underneath the authority of that boss? What if your boss comes to you and says, hey, I've heard your idea, but we're going to go ahead and do it this way. And deep down, you know it's not the best way to do it, right? And it's going to hurt the company, and maybe it's going to make your life more difficult. Are you able to come underneath that leadership of, of, of your boss? Again, there's a line here, isn't there? If the boss is asking you to do something that's against God's word, that's not moral, that's not ethical, you've got to honor God. But it's, if it's simply an issue of, there's two ways to do it. Say, okay, man, I trust you. You're the authority that God has placed in, in my life. And for us to wrestle with this question, am I willing to suffer wrong in order that the cause of Christ could be expressed? What if you're being wrongfully treated at work and people are watching how you're responding to that and ultimately it draws them to Jesus? So now we get to look at Christ's submission. So submission to government, submission to bosses, to masters, but then the submission of Christ. And this really ties everything together. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. So Jesus suffered. He suffered for us. In order for us to be saved, in order for us to be the child of God, he went to the cross and he took our sins upon himself. And we're called by God. God is calling us to suffer. Part of being a a follower of Christ and him being our Lord is us saying yes to suffering. So, okay, there's a difficult government to deal with that might involve some suffering in my life. How do I do that for the glory of God and the cause of Christ? So there's this master in my life that is difficult to deal with. How do I wrestle through these issues of honoring the authority that God has placed in my life, but also honoring God? And I know for many of you that gets really complicated because you work for a corporation or a boss that stands for a lot of things that are contrary to the scriptures and have to wrestle with your own conscience of saying, when do I have to stand up for the word of God and the truth of who Jesus is? And when can I go ahead and go forward with their, their leadership? And that's where we need to be relying upon the Holy Spirit. So for us to see the suffering of Christ and be willing to follow in his footsteps. Why did Jesus suffer? Because of the joy that was set before him. Jesus saw the other side of the cross of being reunited with the Father and inheriting the church, inheriting the bride, and he says, it's worth it. It's worth it. So for us in this issue of submission and suffering, I want to follow in Jesus' footsteps 
embrace suffering because it's worth it. It's worth it to glorify God. It's worth it to be a testimony of Jesus Christ. It's worth it for people to see the reality of, of who, who Jesus is. That's why we would embrace the, the suffering. That's what would m- motivate us to this life of submission. We focus in on Christ. Isaiah 53 is quoted. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. That's what makes him our savior. There was no sin in Christ. And he never sinned with his words. Never sinned with his mouth. There was, there was no vile, there was no deceit in his mouth. How many times do we wish we could just take those words back? Right? There's deceit in our mouth, but there was no deceit in Christ's mouth. Who, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He was spit upon. He was mocked. He was falsely accused. His beard was ripped out. He was whipped. He was, he was reviled. He was murdered brutally upon the cross, but yet he didn't revile. He didn't return evil for evil. In silence, he accepted the, the suffering of the cross. So many people would look at Jesus and say, why don't you stand up for yourself? You're right. You're right. And yet you're just taking it. You're taking it in silence. But he did not revile when he was reviled. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. (laughs) Jesus could have threatened. Jesus could have said, you guys are wrong. You guys are morons. It's time for you to die. It's time for you to have judgment. And he would have been righteous in in doing that. But he didn't. He, He suffered and he didn't threaten. And this is where we see the submission of Christ. He committed himself to him who judges righteously. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus was wrestling with the idea of the cross, he says, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup of suffering from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. As he hung upon the cross, in his dying breaths, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He submitted himself to the Father. He submitted himself to the one who judges rightly. And as we wrestle through these issues of submission at work and with the government, we need to make sure that first and foremost, we have submitted to the Father. As we're trying to decide, how do I navigate these issues? Have I first and foremost sought what is the the will of God? What does, does God want? And am I submitted to him? And Jesus submitted himself to the one who judges rightly. Ultimately, every government's gonna have to stand before God. Amen? They're accountable before God. Every governor, every king, every president, every prime minister, every senator, every congress member. God judges rightly. We can surrender to the Lord. That boss is gonna have to answer to the Lord. Commit yourself to the one who judges rightly. We've had a lot of decisions to wrestle with as a church leadership, and they haven't been easy in regards to exactly what we're, we're talking about. And one of the things that hit me early on is, are we making decisions out of frustration, or are we making decisions out of what does God want? And we got to get to that place where we're making decisions based upon what God wants. 
upon what glorifies him and what he desires? And are we at that place of saying, Lord, I'm surrendering myself to you? Jesus surrendered himself to the Father who bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Meditate upon this for a moment. We think of all of our sin. And in Jesus' flesh, in his body, he bore our sin upon himself. The biblical word propitiation, it means to appease the wrath of. Jesus took on, he literally, in his body, he took on all of my sin, all of my anger, all my lust, all my covetousness. Placed upon his body. All of your sin. Our sin. Imagine if we just took the sin of those in the sanctuary tonight and listening on the live stream. We just put all of that in a big bucket. That would be so overwhelming, wouldn't it? Oh, so heavy. So dark. And that was placed upon Christ. But the sin of the whole world. For all of time. Past, present, and future. He bore it. He bore it upon his body. And in result, we're set free. In result, by his stripes, you are healed. The story Les Mis, some of you are familiar, is about a man in France who gets thrown into a labor camp for stealing bread. He didn't have bread and he stole, so he was thrown into a labor camp. For years did this brutal labor in prison. At one point, he's able to break out of prison. And his first stop is he stops at a bishop's house. And the bishop takes him in and helps him. Jean Valjean is the name of the prisoner. And he sees that the bishop has this expensive silver. This is going to be his ticket to freedom. So he steals the silver and runs away, but he gets arrested. They bring him back to the bishop's house, and the bishop insists, I gave this silver to Jean Valjean. He didn't steal it. I gave it to him. So the police have to leave, and the bishop has this conversation with Jean Valjean. He says, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I have bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred, and now I give you back to God. (laughs) In that expression of grace, he bought his soul (laughs) out of evil and turned him loose to serve the Lord. How much more so with the blood of Jesus Christ that we're now dead to sin, that we might live for righteousness, that we might live for righteousness. The purpose of the sacrifice of Christ is to provide forgiveness of sin, but also freedom from sin. That our soul has been purchased by God, by the grace of God, that we would live for righteousness. When we really have been touched by the love and the grace of God, it compels us in that response. By whose stripes you were healed, by his suffering, salvation is purchased, and we have comfort for our souls knowing that Jesus has suffered. For you are like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So we've all gone astray, but through what Christ has done for us, through Christ's submission, through his suffering, then we're returned to Jesus to be our shepherd. You're under his care. 
He's your shepherd and he's your overseer and he does a great job at this. Let's look at the first seven verses of chapter three. It's submission and marriage. It begins with wives. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. So in all these different sectors of life, aspects of life, God has authority and he has submission. And submission, it means to come underneath, to come underneath one's authority. So, so wives, you're called by God to come underneath the leadership of, of your husband. Even if your husband doesn't know the Lord, that through your conduct, he may come to know Christ as a savior. In those times when your husband's wrong, and absolutely there will be times when your husband's wrong, right? I think we can get an amen by on all parties on that, from husbands and wives. Now, how do you handle that, right? Continuing to walk in respect and continue to walk in humility, it's gonna humble your husband in a great way and put your husband in God's hands and allow God to, to deal with him. In verse two, when you observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, there's that fear of God again, do not let your adornment merely be outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fire, fine apparel. Ladies, there's nothing wrong with those things. Those, those things are not condemned, but the focus is to go deeper, to go to the heart. Rather, let there be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. We don't put a lot of focus on the hidden person. We put a lot of focus on the outward person, right? But the inward person is what really matters to God. So yes, ladies, focus on the outward beauty, but really focus on the inward beauty because because it never fades away. The body's gonna fade away. The external beauty is gonna fade away. But that internal beauty is incorruptible. The beauty of a, a gentle and quiet spirit, especially in regards to your relationship with your husband. Ladies, would your, would your husband say, the way that my wife treats me, she treats me with gentleness. And there's a, a quiet spirit that's about her. Not that your opinions aren't stated, not that you're not fully participating in decisions that are made, but there's a gentleness and there's a quiet spirit. And that's precious to God. God affirms that. In verse five, for in this manner in foreign times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. So speaking of women from the Old Testament, that they clothed themselves with submission to their husbands. Sarah's the example here. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and, not are, and are not afraid with any terror. Abraham was a godly man, but a flawed man. There was two occasions where he wanted Sarah to lie and say, hey, you're my sister, not my wife, because I'm afraid we're going to go into this town and you're so beautiful that they're going to kill me in order that they may marry you. She must have been a very beautiful lady, right? So, terrible decision by Abraham. He's not trusting God. He's not putting his wife's needs before his own. And the amazing thing is Sarah goes along with it. And both times, God protected her and dealt with Abraham. It's mind-blowing. 
It's mind-blowing how the Lord honored Sarah in the midst of that. And Sarah's commended here for her respect to her husband. The focus then goes to husbands in verse 7. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So wives, when it comes to your relationship with your husband, is to be able to say, out of my love for Christ, I'm going to submit to my to my husband. And then husbands, out of your love for Christ, to say, I'm going to dwell with my wife in an understanding way. Now, how important is it to God that we would dwell with our wives with understanding and that we would give honor to our wives? This is the only place in scripture that I know that it's spelled out this clearly where God says it will hinder your prayers. It'll hinder your prayers. So the way that we treat our wives is going to affect our relationship with God. And this is why it's submission in marriage. Husbands, we better be submitted to God. If God's calling our wives to submit to our leadership, we better make sure that we're submitted to the Lord. And if we're not dwelling with our wives in understanding, if we're not giving honor to them in the way that the the Lord would desire, then we're not submitted to Christ. As men, sometimes we get geeked out on a lot of different things and we understand them really well. You might really have a passion for sports and you understand a ton about the Broncos if we're able to have the season that's coming up. I've last few years gotten pretty geeked out on Chevy trucks, old ones, right? And I, I can tell you a lot now about, about Chevy trucks. Well, I hope I know a whole lot more about Amber, my wife, than Chevy trucks, right? So let me ask you guys some questions. Do you understand your wife's needs, her hopes, her dreams, her joys, and struggles? If you were to ask your wife and say, do you feel like I understand your needs? Do you feel like I understand your your hopes, your dreams, your joys, your struggles? Again, this all comes back to Jesus. Jesus served. Jesus came into our world and he served us. So husbands, to dwell with our wives in understanding is that we come into their world and that we serve them. This is a deep need for wives. Just as men have the God-given need to feel respected, wives have the need to feel understood. And this phrase, dwell with them, has to do with time, has to do with doing life together. We're not going to dwell with our wives with understanding if we never spend any time with them right? Hey, babe, I really want to understand you, so just text me your needs. Let me know, but I just, I need you to give it to me spot on, brief. That's why I need a text. Maybe we could do this over email. It'd be a little more efficient. Let's, no, it, it, it takes having time together. We need to be looking at what is some of the redemption that's happening in the coronavirus. What may God be up to in the midst of all of this? And one of the good things is we've had more time together, right? We've been able to spend more time with each other. Did I mess that up somehow? 
I don't know. Catch me later. If we get too busy as husbands, we're not going to be dwelling with our wives in an understanding way. So enter in and dwell with them in an understanding way. Let's tackle this, this weaker vessel thing. What does that mean? It's not inferior. We know this because we're both heirs of the grace of, of life. The weaker vessel has to do with God's design. My mom would always put it this way to us. I've got an older brother. He's, he's 22 months older than me and a younger sister. She's nine years younger than me. And my brother and I running around growing up were, were pretty rough, right? And mom would sit us down and she'd say, now boys, you're coffee mugs. You're designed to be rough. You're, you're designed to, to be rough and tumble. But that's not the way God's designed women. God has designed them as fine china. Now, is there a purpose for a coffee mug? Absolutely. But is there a purpose for fine china? Absolutely. And God has made us different as men and women. And what's to be expressed here is your wife is that fine china that you give honor to. And focus on this phrase, and being heirs together of the grace of life. What makes marriage work? That you both have received the grace of God and are expressing the grace of God together, and are joint heirs in Christ. Well, is there anybody else's toes that I can step on tonight, right? So what was it inside of me, in English grammar class with Mr. Long, that loved to put my feet on the basket of the desk in front of me? What, what was it that, brought so much joy in chewing a piece of gum and leaving it on his door, right? It's that sinful nature. It's that nobody's gonna tell me not to chew gum. You know, I can put my feet wherever, wherever I want to. And that sinful nature is still alive and well inside of us. God loves humility. He loves humility. He gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Humility is expressed in submission. Saying, God, I'm humbling myself under your mighty hand, so I'm going to choose to honor the government unless the government is commanding me to disobey you. God, I'm going to humble myself and come underneath this boss that you've given me, even sometimes if I suffer for doing good because I want to be underneath your, your authority. Wives, I'm coming underneath the leadership of my husband because God, I want to honor you. Husband saying, God, I'm coming underneath your authority and dwelling with my wife and understanding. And as we choose to embrace the authority that God has placed in our lives, then we find ourselves living under his side of protection and obedience. High school kids, junior high kids, God's placed your parents in your life as, as your authority. And to be able to say, I may not always agree with my parents, but I'm choosing to honor them. I'm choosing to come underneath their, their authority. Maybe you would do it differently. Well, as time goes on, you get married and have your own kids, you'll get the opportunity to do it differently, right? Right? But at this point to say, 
I'm going to come underneath their, their authority to be able to experience God's blessing. But as we conclude our service tonight to say, well, what is it in my heart that makes it so hard to s- submit? Why do I hold on so much to my independence? And as we come to the communion table tonight to stand in awe at once again of the submission of Christ. So we're going to have communion available. Um, we'll go to prayer and worship. If you'd like to take communion, by no means feel pressure to take communion. If you're like, Man, it's too, too much of a health risk. We completely understand. We've tried to prepare communion in the safest uh, way, way possible, where there's, there's two, two containers, and you've got the bread at the bottom and the cup, and I don't even really know how they've done it, but just make sure that you get the juice and the bread, okay? But they've prepared it as safe as possible, and then when you come to take uh, communion, if you would be respectful to, to social distance with each other, And the reason that we're doing this is we're doing our best to try to honor our government. Amen? No amens there. So, all right, let's stand and pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the joy of being in your word together and being challenged in this area of submission. And there is a a real part of our sinful nature that doesn't like being told what to do. But yet we see you, Jesus submitting to to the Father for the purpose of salvation. May we follow in your footsteps, Jesus. We pray for our local leadership here in El Paso County, for Mayor Southers, for our sheriff and police commissioner, and for Governor Polis. We ask that you give them wisdom. And those leaders that don't know you, that they would turn to you that we as believers in a church could be a good, good witness. Lord, help us as, as believers to have a God-honoring attitude towards the authority that you've placed in our lives. And Lord, if it comes to those moments in time where we do have to make a stand, may you prepare us. And may we do it in a way that honors you and, and points to Christ. Lord, for those that are in difficult work situations, difficult bosses, difficult masters, in that sense, Lord, would you fill them with your spirit to be able to live out submission. For each marriage, Lord, I pray for each husband that's listening and that's here this evening, that we as husbands would be underneath your authority, be submitted to you, to really honor our wives and to dwell with them in understanding. So Lord, as we celebrate communion tonight, would you meet us afresh? We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.